Hello, everybody. Welcome to 321 No Kidding. I am your host, Bobby the Awesome. And today I have with me Miss Nicole Thompson. Welcome to 321. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm excited to learn from you today. I have come to believe, and this is based on the information I have to date, that trauma leads to all addiction. Like, I think that that's where it all starts from. Um, that's my personal, you know, intel. But you're definitely much more of an expert and you can speak to it in regards to children as well. So we're going to dive in today. But before we get started, maybe introduce yourself to the audience. Um, who are you? What do you do? And maybe why you wanted to be here today. Okay. My name is Nicole Thompson. I'm an author, a retired school psychologist. Uh, my book is called Reach to Teach, Seven Simple Trauma-Informed Steps to Help Urban Students Engage, Improve Grades, and Decrease Disruptive, disruptive Behaviors Overnight. I'm also a mentor, a mom of four, um, and I own my own business. Uh, I do education consulting, speaking, and things of that sort. And what got me here is a pretty tumultuous childhood of my own. I had a lot of adverse childhood experiences coming up. Um, it, it was like I was born into it um, because as far back as I can remember, my parents were in an abusive relationship and my dad used to physically, mentally, it, whatever type of abuse, he used to do it to my mom. And my siblings and I would be there to witness it. Um, and it got so bad that my older brother had actually uh, threatened to kill him one time when um, he was beating her. And after that, she decided to leave. But um, at that time, she had four children, myself included, and she wasn't working, as you can imagine, because my dad was, you know, taking care of all of the finances. It was like, you know, the man is leading the house. The woman is barefoot and pregnant. Um, so when we moved, we moved with my grandma, her mom, but my grandma lived in a really poor section of the city in a two bedroom house. So, you know, with the five of us moving into the house with my grandma, you can imagine it was overcrowded and things of that nature. Um, we thought they things that were going to get better once she got away from the situation, but it didn't. It progressively got worse and very quickly. She got pregnant with her fifth child with her new boyfriend fairly soon. Um, and while she was pregnant with that new baby, she got a call that he had actually been murdered by his dad. His dad had stabbed him in the heart during an argument. And my oldest brother was there to witness it. So they wanted him to testify in court and, you know, all of the things. And she didn't want that for him. He was only 12 at the time. And it was already, you know, um, enough that he actually saw it. She didn't want to put him through the whole court thing and all to further traumatize him. But when she got that news, as you can imagine, she didn't take it well at all. Here she is about to expect her fifth child, not in a relationship. And, you know, the father of her fifth child is gone now. So she really didn't see any hope or any way out. So she got depressed. And when she was up, she... She drank herself to back to sleep. And that was like that constant cycle. She was up, she would drink herself back to sleep. And during that time, uh, myself and my other siblings, we were raising ourselves. The house was filthy. There was no food. It was roaches everywhere. You know, we're, we're just trying to do everything that we knew how. We were all under 12 to keep ourselves up and, you know, 
afloat. My my grandmom had actually moved out because those two argued a lot. So, you know, instead of my grandmom putting us out and not having anywhere to live, she went to go live with her sister. Um, so one night my mom sat us all down. She was still pregnant. No, she she had the baby by then. She had went into a premature labor and my little sister, she had only weighed about a pound and a half. So um, one night my mom sat us down and she was like, you know, I'm going to die and I'm crying. We're all crying. Don't say that, mommy. Um, in the middle of the night, I woke up. I heard my baby sister crying. And um, when I woke up, I went to go flip my mom over because I found out that she was laying on my sister. And that's the reason for her crying. Um, but when I was, you know, telling her to uh, get up, you're laying on my sister. She w- wasn't responding so when I flipped her over she was actually dead she had you know took some pills that night and uh ended it you know um so I jumped out of the bed and because um about a week or so before she passed and now you know hindsight is always 100% I realized what she was doing she had one of her friends come in uh she was a nurse friend she came in and showed me how to take a pulse on my mom. So when my mom wasn't moving, I knew immediately to check her pulse to see if she was alive. And when I checked her pulse, she wasn't alive. And I jumped out of the bed and ran into the other room where my other siblings were because uh, it was myself and my youngest sister sleeping with my mom and then my three other siblings in the next room. And I said, you know, I think that my mommy is dead and she was dead. So that's what really brought me to doing the work that I'm doing. Um, uh, When I went to school to become a psychologist, I knew then and there that I wanted to help children that were like me, that were in similar situations. And it just confirmed it when I started uh, forming really good relationships with a lot of the uh, students because they would tell me all these horrific things that were going on in their lives. And Instead of them being met with uh, compassion and understanding, the teachers and the educators would meet them with disciplinary action. And, you know, I knew that the behaviors were because of all of these horrific things that were going on and nobody knew what to do with it, how to help them heal. But instead, they were just further traumatizing them. So that's why I've been doing the work, because I realized that the awareness, especially when I started in 2018, the awareness wasn't out there enough. You know, children are still being um, disciplined and all for coping mechanisms. They're just trying to cope with everything that's going on in their lives. My heart is hurting right now listening to that story. Um, There's pieces I relate to, and then there's pieces that are just awful to hear. So thank you for sharing that with us. I can mm-hmm. see why that inspires your purpose for sure. Um, so you said coping mechanisms with these kids and they're getting disciplined. Um, maybe take us through for the parent listeners and even the educators, because um, I'm imagining there's clues, right? And and that the adults can see these things. Do you mind sharing what some of that might look like? Yeah, absolutely. So let's just say a child is normally, let's just say a chill child, you know, just do the typical regular things that children do. Um, If all of a sudden you notice that maybe 
there's a regression in the child's developmental behavior, meaning that um, maybe they're around 11 years old and all of a sudden they're wetting the bed again. That's an alarm because it could be that is sexual molestation or something like that going on. Or it could be that the child is now very irritable for no reason to you, it seems like, but it could be that they're dealing with these different things and it's making them irritable. Um, it could be anxiety, which which is why I really wanted to come on and talk about that because a lot of times with trauma, we form that anxiety because we never know where, when and where uh, a traumatic situation is going to come again. And when we experience trauma, unfortunately, after that traumatic event occurs, that those emotions and everything become stuck in our body. And when those emotions are stuck in our body, our brain is constantly reacting in that fight, flight, or freeze mode. So we're constantly in survival mode, even though we don't realize it. So if you're starting to notice that, you know, your child is really impulsive or maybe completely disconnected from their environment, then that's definitely an, an alarm. I would say any type of different behaviors, talk to your child and see what's going on. Oh, you want you want adults to talk to them? Yes, absolutely. And you know what? I think a lot of times we don't give children enough uh, uh, credit about how they feel, about what's going on. We just sort of um, disregard them. You know, they're, they're kids. Stay in the child's place. Only speak when you're spoken to. All of those old things. But children need to talk just as well as adults do because uh, children grow up to be adults. So if their whole entire child lives, they've been told not to talk and not to feel, they're going to grow up to be adults that aren't talking and aren't feeling. You're 100% right. I was kind of being a little snarky. And honestly, I didn't wrap my head around that until Kai. Like Kylie taught me, like her wisdom is insane. Um, And the anxiety piece as well. I wasn't understanding. Like she wouldn't order her own food like at a restaurant. And um, you're exactly right. The adults were punishing her like, okay, you won't order your food. You don't eat. Right. 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 And, and we hear that a lot. And most adults don't stop to think about how traumatizing that is. Because again, trauma just isn't physical. Trauma is on the spectrum. So that right there could have been traumatizing to her and considered like emotionally damaging and something that she still carries on to this day. It it does. And it's, so it's kind of like compound trauma, if that's a thing, right? Like it's because of all the um, trauma originally, and then her way of dealing with it was to not be comfortable talking to people. So it kind of makes sense. But you, I think you just reminded me to, uh, can you define trauma like in a way, just so that we're all on the same page with that? I would say, and and this is a very broad sense on purpose, trauma is anything that overwhelms your body's ability to cope. And I say it that way so people can understand the huge spectrum that trauma is on. Because we hear about big T trauma a lot, which is the rape the uh, natural disasters, the things of that sort. But what we we don't pay enough attention to is 
the little T trauma, you know, the emotional abuse, the things like, well, if you don't order, you won't eat. Or if you have an alcoholic parent and every day they're coming home telling you that you're not enough or, you know, you're witnessing like I was, you're witnessing one of your parents get abused. Those are all things that it, even though it's not physical, it's still causing your body to go into that, you know, that constant state of hyper arousal. You know what was scary about what you, well, there's a lot of things scary about what you just said, but you called it big T and little T and little T under that umbrella, like going home to alcoholic parents is a little T because as a society, there are things more heinous than that to be big T's. That's freaking disgusting. Exactly. Exactly. And and it's just from, I believe, a lack of understanding and a lack of awareness because up until this point you well not this point but up until you know a few years ago not exactly three but you know in the scientific world they say it's fairly new we thought that only veterans were the ones to suffer from ptsd you know now we know how ridiculous that is because of the trauma that goes on in the world I always say that all of us, every single one of us as humans have experienced some type of trauma, some not as worse as others. But again, it could be that, let's say a child moves from one state to another and that traumatizes them because they're not used to change. We have to think about trauma in a much broader lens so we can get to the root of it and start to, you know, address the behaviors before it becomes too um, too over the top and develops into a disorder or an illness. So we talked about having a conversation with the children. So can you kind of talk to us about what that might look like? Like, where do you start? What do you, what I found with my experience with Kai, like, my mouth is falling open and I don't have responses to some of the things because either they're that bad or chilling or not bad that she's telling me, but bad, like unfathomable that this stuff is happening. So I guess it's two things. How do you start the conversation? And then how do you prepare yourself for the unexpected during that conversation? So with the conversation, I always say, be proactive, talk to your kids all the time. You know, so if you're talking to them all the time, they are comfortable with you when something actually happens. A lot of times uh, parents or adults don't talk to children. And then when something actually happens to them, they don't feel safe enough to go to anybody and talk about it because they feel that they're going to be judged, which is a big one. Like children are always judged by adults. And they feel that they're they're not going to be totally listened to. I've had um, examples of students that I had relationships with. When they told their parents that they were sexually assaulted, the parent didn't believe them. So that instantly shut that communication down right there. And in terms of preparing yourself, honestly, it's really no preparation that you can do. Because like you said, you don't know what you, you're going to hear but what I always say is a lot of times when children are talking to the, to us and we're having these conversations, they don't necessarily want our input. They just want our ear. They just want understanding and empathy. So you don't have to always be um, a trained mental health professional to have these conversations. You just have to be willing enough to sit there and listen. 
Because when you think about it, when most of us are in conversation, we're not good communicators. We, we communicate to respond. We Very seldomly do we communicate to actually listen to what the person is saying. And when a child feels heard and understood, it, incre- it improves your relationship and it lets them know that maybe there is hope on the other side and I can get out of this. Should adults be checking in like at that... So you ha- so you have the conversations. I love the I love what you said. I'm totally a believer in this about if do it all the time so that it's not out of the ordinary when you're sensing a different behavior so they're comfortable. Is it okay to ask them um if it is more than empathy that they need or more than to be heard? Um let mommy go do a little research. Is it okay if I go, you know, talk to someone who's a little bit more seasoned on that? Like, is that an appropriate response? Yes, I would I would say that with all of the children that I spoke to um in my office, I would tell them, you know, I is my job to keep everything that we talk about to myself. But if you tell me that you're gonna hurt someone or hurt yourself, then I have to tell someone. But if at any time it got to a point where, you know, I'm like, well, you know, this kid needs help. I would say, is it okay if I talk to someone or do you feel comfortable with going through a therapist? Because I believe that therapy will help you, um, you know, get through this situation much better. Um, You know, there's still a stigma around therapy, especially in the black community. But when you really explain what therapy is doing, and I always say that you have to look at therapy like you're going to your primary care physician. You know, it's the same thing. Your primary care physician is helping you with a physical illness that you can see, but your therapist is helping you with a mental illness that you can't see. And if you want to stay healthy, you have to go to checkups and things of that sort. You know, we're always going through transitions in life. So at different points in time, it's okay to talk to a therapist to help you get through those challenges because that's what they're there for. They're there to give you a different perspective and they're there to give you specific strategies to overcome the trauma that you're going through. Okay, I'm going to sound a little ignorant, but I'm going to ask anyway, because maybe there's other people wondering. So you were a child psychologist. School psychologist. School because psychologist. It could be child, yeah, it could be a child psychologist, but it could be clinical. You know, like there's so many different uh, areas that you can work in. So can you clarify, it, and like I said, for my own understanding, what that role encompasses? Because you just pointed out something. In my head, you were the therapist. So if you can kind of talk me through that. Um, and again, there's probably parents who don't know the difference either. <laughs> Yes. So as a school psychologist, my main priority is to get them services that help them in school. So if they're in school and they're struggling behaviorally and it's impacting their academics, then my job is to give the, the teachers, the other educators in the building an intervention so it can cut those behaviors out and they can focus on learning. Now, a clinical psychologist that works with children Their main goal is to have a treatment plan for that child, meet with that child every single week and work through that problem. In the schools, especially the school district that I was in, we were more focused on evaluating students for that academic piece 
and we stayed away from the counseling side of it. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you for that clarification. You're welcome. So do the schools, is that another place to catch some of the red flags? Do schools communicate to parents or is this all happening in school? And like, if the child's not talking to the folks, do do the parents get this feedback of some sort? They should always, um, if if there is a good team at the school. Of course, I can't speak for every school because, you know, it's just there's some yeah. bad educators, just like there's bad whatever area you want to think about. But yes, ideally, um, best practice that should be communicated to the parents and the parents should be communicating with the school when they notice a, maybe it's even a problem at home and they could just call the teacher, text the teacher hey, I've noticed an increase in behaviors in this area. It may be because boom, boom, boom. When you keep that open line of communication open, it actually makes it easier for the school and home to give the child what they need, what resources they need. Because um, even though the parent isn't in school with the child, the parent knows the child better than anybody else. Right. You know, so so if there that communication is open, it, it just makes it much easier and seamless, especially I always encourage um, when I'm doing evaluations for the parents to be completely honest and let them know that this isn't going to be held against them. Because a lot of times uh, parents withhold information because one is just not the school's business and two, they don't feel comfortable sharing it. But that may be the cause of why the child is behaving the way they are. You're leading me right into my next thought. So thank you for that. What I'm wondering is, can we talk about maybe like your example, the traumas were just back to back to back to back, right? Um, Are there maybe a handful that we can talk about that might be, uh, I don't want to say obvious because I wouldn't be asking for a little list if they were obvious, right? Um, it sounds like substance abuse would make the list, right? If you're at home and there's that kind of stuff going on. Um, I'm going to mention gambling, right? Because it's very interesting to me, the adults that I talk, people that I interview, they'll be like, oh yeah, my mother, oh, my father for years. And it's one of those things that it's a hindsight thing more often than not. Um, or gambling isn't viewed as an addiction, and I'm being, you know, my snarky self. Um, but are there some other, like, maybe themes that you've seen that maybe if there's someone listening and they're, um, they're not bad people. They're just, the behaviors aren't benefiting the child. So is there some of that stuff that maybe you could speak to? Yeah. So there's actually, there was a study done, um, uh, an ACEs study, an Adverse Childhood Experience Study. Mm-hmm. And they came out with a questionnaire that has 10 questions on there. And it talks about um, mental illness in the family. That's one of them. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a parent. It could be anyone that lived in a household. If they have a mental illness, that that can cause an adverse childhood experience. Of course, if the parent or anyone in the household is addicted to drugs, addicted to gambling, because we know that gambling Addiction could lead to you losing your house, not having enough food to eat, and so many things of that sort. Poverty is a huge one because poverty is like this umbrella that causes so many different things. When you're living in poverty, 
you're not feeling safe because you're in an unsafe neighborhood, which was, you know, my case, you're seeing drug addicts, you're seeing violence. Um, and it's not too often that you escape it because in the house, you're, you're experiencing one thing. Maybe you have an unstable adult. Like in my case, my mom was um, living through depression. And then when you go on the outside, you see your friends battling with the same thing, not being mm -hmm. able, not having enough food to eat, not knowing if the lights will be cut off. So it's all of those things to me that really causes insecurity when you're not feeling safe. Because anytime you're not feeling safe, that sends you into that hyper arousal because you're literally just trying to survive. So I think, you know, just keep an open mind when you're thinking about it. When did my child not feel safe? Divorce is one of them. You know, it, it, when you think about it, it's so many things that can go wrong that can be considered trauma. I don't know if this is out of out of the realm of it, but you just brought up divorce. And I, I haven't taken the ACEs in a long time. And, and just so that folks know, there is a way to go test yourself online, right? It's kind of like one of those quizzes, if I remember right. It's been a long time. Um, this, this isn't really this topic, but things like divorce. Do you, how do you feel about this? I have my opinion, so I'm trying to put my muzzle on at the same time I'm trying to ask you something. Um, how do you feel like, do you think that getting a divorce is more traumatic than staying in a relationship that doesn't have um, affection or has physical abuse? Like, what is the worst? What is, do you understand what I'm trying to say? I do. It it, it honestly just depends on um, the situation. Because I would definitely say if there's physical, emotional abuse in the relationship, get a divorce. You know, um, that is something that over time the child can get used to living in two households. But if that child is constantly witnessing that form of abuse every single day for their entire lives, there's no escaping it. You know, at least you can escape it when your parents aren't uh, together. Um, but in, as parents, I believe that it's our jobs to explain to the child, you know, we once loved each other. We realize that it's just not working out anymore. For So for the sake of the family, for the sake of you, it's best that we get a divorce, you know. Um, and I always say focus on the child, focus on co-parenting. You can have like the worst energy between you two or whatever. But when it comes to the child, let the child know that you're there for them. Because as adults, we have to put our own personal feelings aside when it comes to um, their parents. <laughs> we chose them. You know, it, it's, it's not saying that uh, it's our fault completely because we're all dealing with things. We're all dealing with our own traumas and not even knowing it. Um, and we attract what we've been through. You know, just speaking from myself, I had attracted a couple of relationships and it wasn't to a physical manner, but I had attracted a couple of relationships that were mirroring my my parents' relationship. And I realized then that I still had a lot of work to do, you know, because I did not want to uh, repeat that. I didn't want my kids to see that. So we always just have to have a an open mind where we're just making decisions. I would, I would, I'm not a believer 
of staying in a relationship when it no longer serves you. You are so poignant and so good at like predicting my next, like where I want to go. So you, and I lost my train of thought because I was like, you, you said earlier about the listening, the listening to respond and the listening. And I got hung up on a thought there, but you were talking about staying in it, listening. And it's okay. I'm not perfect. My memory is not perfect. Um, I'm sure it's going to pop back in. So does your book kind of help it? Who's the audience for your book? So the audience for my book is educators, but the information that's in the book, parents can most certainly benefit from because I give examples and, you know, studies of a child presenting in this manner. These are the behaviors you need to look out for. So I I believe, you know, and I'm a parent myself. So both parents and educators can benefit from the information, but it's for educators because it gives specific strategies on what to do in the classroom when this child is demonstrating this specific behavior. Okay. Well, you know, homeschooling, I think, is on the rise. Uh, at least that was my impression coming out of COVID. I happen to know parents that do it. Uh, so I think it's happening. So I guess it's it's good for both. And and I like the idea of if a parent reads it, they could be on the same page as the teacher too. So. Yes. Yes. Um, I remember my thought and you were, you said something about, you were seeing the patterns of, of relationship examples that you have seen. And that was going to be the next kind of topic is if, if let's say a teacher um, reads the book or is savvy or can help a kid or your mission is helping these children. Do you think that there's hope that the generational, um, perpetuation can stop do you do you think it can stop at this generation with advocates like you helping absolutely um so again like it it goes back to that awareness piece um a lot of times people don't want to especially since the way the the society is, it's like a microwave society. Everyone wants everything quickly. People are constantly moving, 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 doing, doing, doing. But it is your responsibility. I mean, it wasn't your responsibility that you experienced the trauma, but it's your responsibility to heal. And healing oftentimes just causes you to just sit, observe, and listen. And if you're experiencing problems in your relationships, in your job, Whatever the case, just sit and think about why it's happening. Are you the problem? You know, are are you the one that's always um, causing the arguments or are you the one that's always getting overly emotional? So it's, it's things like that. It really does take that reflection and it's difficult. I'm not going to say that it's not. Um, I've been healing for years now and there's still always things that I uncover, but it really was that simple. Like I would react the way. And I would instantly think, is this normal? Should should I be acting like this? And me just asking myself that question made me realize it's not normal. (laughs) You shouldn't be acting like that. So I I think that 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 would be a good start um, to end in that generational cycle of constantly being traumatized. It's, It's your own awareness and your willingness to do the work that can end it. 
And thank you for your service to bringing awareness because because that is the first step. You can't fix it if you don't know about it. And I, I I still don't know the answer if it's because of who I surround myself with or if it's happening more and more. But I feel like something is starting to happen in the universe and in the world where the awareness is starting to come. More people are trying to remove the stigmas. More people are speaking out about the shit that happens behind closed doors. Um, and it needs to happen. It just needs to happen. So um, I'm very grateful for people like you that are bringing a voice to situations like this. Um, you said two things that I just, I had to write down and that I loved. Microwave society. Uh, I know what you mean, but can you share what you mean by microwave society? It, it was just worth mentioning. Everyone wants everything quickly. Now, 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 now. I want it. I want it now. It's instant gratification. Everyone okay. wants instant gratification instead of actually being patient enough, taking the time to do the work and then waiting until that change comes. You know, Just like with plastic surgery and all, everyone wants to go out and get all this plastic surgery so they can look like whatever. And in, in reality, you can get the look that you want most of the time. You just have to be patient and put in the work and wait for that transformation to come. So that's what I meant by microwave society. Yeah. I, I was just in California and I saw a 30-year-old. And I'm not saying this from a place of judgment. It just, it hurt my heart that she felt that this was necessary. She had a chin surgery to remove her second chin at 30 years old. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, like, I don't want her to feel that way. Um, anyway, yeah, it's sad, but it, it's the noise from all around us. It's not, it, it, and it's the noise from the prior generations, which is why this conversation is important because um, having the awareness to know when the voice is yours or not, it, it can be challenging sometimes. Is that really what I believe? Why do I believe that? Do I believe it because somebody told me to believe it? Do I believe it because there's an enormous amount of people that are telling me to believe it or that's what everybody else believes? Um, and I think that that's changing. I hope that that's changing. Um, and the other thing you said, and I want to go deeper on this, it's your responsibility to heal. Uh I am so over victim mindset. Um, it's true. There's a lot of people that are victims. And it's true. If if you said, I think I heard you right at the top of the show, that everybody has experienced some sort of trauma. So basically, everybody's a victim. Yes. And, and I hate to use the word victim because then that puts you in victim mentality, thinking that there's nothing that you can do to change it. Um, I like to say that and it, it, it may, I don't want it to sound bad, but we have to remember that everything that we go through happens for us and not to us. You know, when we think about it in that way, you, you think of it from a different perspective where healing is possible because you're like, okay, well, this can help me in, in my case now since I've been through all of those things, now I can go back and help children that have been through all of those 
things instead of ruminating ruminating in it woe is me i didn't deserve this or what 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 you know just down the rabbit hole of victimization we have to get out of that and know that whatever we go through we can heal from it our bodies are meant to heal we're hardwired to heal it's just that we have to do the work to get us there and stop looking at yourselves as a victim. Yes, it happened to you, but now what? You know, are, are you going to let that change you and, you know, run you to addictions, run you to repeating the patterns that you've seen in the past that you don't like, but, you know, you're going to just do it because you feel victimized? Or are you going to take that power and say, you know, this happened to me? I don't want it to happen again. And I'm, I'm going to do everything in my power to keep it from happening again. Do you have any recommendation? You take words out of my mouth and my questions and I love it. Like you are so on my wavelength. Um, do you have any advice on where to start? Right? Like, yeah. so, so first it's awareness, but then what? So I decide that I want to embrace trauma. What does that look like? Questioning. It, it really is that simple. Like I said, just asking yourself, why am I behaving this way? Mm. Listen to what people are telling you about yourself. If they're telling you that you're rude, if they're telling you that you're short-tempered, start asking why. Why am I rude? Why am I short-tempered? And then ask yourself, is that a behavior that you're proud of? Because if you're not proud of it, then probably is a coping mechanism from something traumatic in your past that you've never dealt with that you never even stopped to realize that it was traumatic and it changed the structure of your brain. And now your behaviors are just mirroring that structure change. So I would definitely say that just start asking yourself questions. Um, let's just say, for example, because you know, texting is big now. You text someone, let's say it's a, an intimate partner and they go, don't get right back to you. Do you say, that's okay. They may be busy. I'll wait until they text me back. Or do you go into this a hyper arousal where you're like, oh my God, I know this person is out there doing this with this person and, <laughs> and you're texting them a million times and you're calling them. If you're doing that, ask yourself, why are you doing that? Is it because you've got hurt in the past? Is it because you've seen your parents go through that type of um, relationship? And those questions are really what lead to the healing. And then once you ask yourself enough questions, you really feel comfortable enough. I know in my instance anyway, then you feel comfortable enough to seek professional help because now you're used to asking yourself the questions. So when the professional asks you the questions, you're okay with it. Oh, that's beautiful. I never thought of it that way. That's an amazing way. Do you think, um, does this questioning work on emotions too? It sounds like it works on behavior. Does it work on emotions too? Like, why am I angry? Why am I sad? Why am I... Absolutely. Absolutely. It actually works on everything because let me think of an example. Um, so let's say if someone cuts you off in traffic, right? You have two ways to deal with it. You can let it slide or you could get road rage, chase after the person, curse them out. You know, we've seen instances where people die from things like that. But we know that is an extreme reaction. So instead, when that person cuts you off, Give the person grace. Hey, I don't know what this person is going through. They could be trying to get to the hospital. They could be late for work, whatever the case. 
Or if you're acting in a, in a way where you're having road rage, ask yourself, why? Why am I acting like this? Why do I take it so personally? And I always like to say that when you take everything personal, it's a trauma response because everything isn't about you. It just never is. <laughs> so so when, you, when you take that away and you stop taking it personally, you're able to see the world in a much broader lens and see different perspectives instead of just your own, your own, your own. I love your wisdom. Nicole, is there anything that I haven't taken us down or we haven't expanded on that you need, you know, you need to share or that you think would benefit? Mm, Yeah. So I think with uh, the whole addiction thing and adverse childhood experiences, I'm talking about children, but I'm also talking about adults, unhealed adults, because if you're an adult and you've never been through therapy or through any type of healing situations, you're still carrying those adverse childhood experiences with you, which is the case in many different instances um, because trauma causes all of the mental illnesses that you can think of, but it also causes a lot of the physical ailments that you never make a direct correlation with. So asthma, diabetes, heart, uh, heart, high blood pressure, heart disease, Almost any uh, physical disease that you think of can be caused by trauma because I told you your 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 genetic makeup, it changes. It changes to see the world as an unsafe place. And when your body is always working in that um, fight or flight, I'm not safe. I need to survive. All of your organs are overworking there. You know, the cortisol is always um, releasing at an extreme amount. And it's like your body never actually rests. That's why it's important to be aware of the things that you've been through, question the things that you've been through, and then just find time to sit still, to to reflect, to write, to journal. It really is, um, like I said before, we can heal, it's possible, but you have to find time to heal. I think that that's the biggest thing. I think you need to make time. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I like it better that way. Because if they, oh, I can't find time. So yes, make time to do. Yeah. I mean, we should always be our biggest priority. And the the more I listen to you, the more it's not, like, there's the us piece, but I find that more people, this may <clears throat> not be accurate, but parents tend to care more about their kids almost than themselves, right? So if they're not, you know, the whole oxygen mask thing, if they're not making the time for themselves, um, not only are they impacting their kids, they're impacting their grandchildren. Like the buck has to stop somewhere. So Nicole, this has been a true privilege to talk to you. Uh, see how excited I am. I can't even speak. Um, I really, uh, I, I really did learn a lot and um, my heart is still kind of like, ugh, your story is very powerful um, and I appreciate you using it for good. Um, it's it's just really important. So remind everybody where they can find you. Thank you. And yes, uh, I can be found on, I'm mainly on Instagram is goat educators, like greatest of all time educators. Um, on Instagram, Facebook, like all of the platforms. 
and uh, you can find my book Reach to Teach on Amazon. If you, uh, you know, put it in a search engine, Reach to Teach, Nicole Thompson, it'll pop up. Perfect. Well, thank you again for all your time today. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You're not mine.